The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. My family thinks I'm crazy. Podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that I give them in a shade. memories, a colony of anomalies where the galaxy comes to marvel at the great spirit's creation. Welcome to the greenhouse that filled your youthful lungs with rich breath, a wealth of green reflecting within you. Welcome to the house your father built, who came from beyond, raised you from your infancy, and taught you to stand strong. Welcome to the home your mother furnished, the nest lined with ancient jewels woven in Aeonian fabrics, lining the walls and tracing the traditions that lost their meaning in the hands of the apathetic inheritance of the ancient heritage of the star people. Welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, where I, Mystic Mark, interview Adrian West, who joins us here for the first time to discuss his new book, Pantheon 1, The Golden Veins. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this conversation with Adrian West. Suppression is thousands of years old. And it's because the Anunnaki family were split in two. It was the tribes of Enki and the tribes of Enlil. And they would never, ever stop beefing with each other as long as we know it. So I don't want to give too many spoilers away in, in part two, but I will say that like there's a there's a god who's the son of Enlil. His name is Nenar Sin. He's also you can make some connections that he is the prophet Gabriel and is the one kind of kind of deciphering or relating the instructions to Muhammad in the Quran. So we actually believe Nanar Sin is is like the one teaching Muhammad all that. But 
He's also the dude who created the financial, like monetary system in ancient Sumeria. And like the money system is kind of what was the catalyst for creating power dynamics amongst the general population, class structures, and then you got the Anunnaki gods and their temples way up here. But that was that was how they could start controlling those early intelligent societies that were starting to write for themselves and speak for themselves and keep their own records. And then, you know, the suppression just never stopped from the Roman Empire to the Council of Nicaea to the powers that stay in charge. It's not like it's deep, right? It's like they are suppressing things for certain reasons. And some of it you get if the average population knew about all the crazy stuff going on, they probably would panic. But the, the religious side is almost intentional to keep us slowed down and dumbed down in our evolution. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we are on the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast, and I am very excited to have this man with me here on the show. We're going to be talking about what he's been up to in his very interesting life and what led to him writing this excellent book that he sent to me titled Pantheon One, The Golden Veins. I have Adrian West with me here on the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast. Adrian Welcome to the show, and before we get into your 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 excellent book and the topics associated, let's talk about you. A, does your family think you're crazy? And B, how did you you get to this point in life where you're writing a book about humanity's ancient origins and all this very interesting stuff that we'll get to in a moment? Absolutely, Mark. Thank you for having me. It's nice to hear a familiar voice. In the podcast world, I'll start by saying that I was blessed with a very capable, very intelligent parents, which a lot of people are not. And I wasn't like handed a silver spoon or anything. They they made me grow up the tough way and the right way. And during my early childhood, I was super curious about everything. So from dinosaurs to aliens to rocket ships and all that. And the other part of me was sort of led down this like athletic path. So I would get into, I would get into martial arts and then baseball consumed my life for about a decade. And I kind of put that curiosity on the back burner. But in those early developmental years, it was movies like E.T., Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Apollo 13. I think those are all Steven Spielberg films. So there's a, a common thread there. Jurassic Park again and in disney was sort of my jam so i was i was a very active kid very curious kid and then fast forward to college i'm like 20 right i've been partying for for a few years not really the sharpest i could have been and then my buddy i had a roommate who turned us on to all these documentaries so i'd watch like loose change why we fight Etc. Etc. Then another buddy of mine turned me on the Zeitgeist, the first one. And I'm like 20 years old, and I'm like, all right, something's up here. This world may perhaps not as they tell us it is. And this is like 
the spring of 2009. And then I start doing my own research. It's my final semester in college. And one day I just Google like Bible UFOs or something like that. And it led me to this French author. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. His name is Claude Vorlhan, if I'm pronouncing it right. He's a pretty famous like UFO French author who kind of like started his own religion. So he, he could be on the kookier side of the spectrum, but his book, Intelligent Design, was the first thing I'd ever read that offered a different translation of Genesis. And he's talking about the Elohim. He claims he was abducted and these alien beings taught him all this stuff. So I'm 20 years old reading this like, translation of like what these words in Genesis could have meant to give you a little more background. I was raised in the church in the Methodist Christian church. So I believe in God, the creator of the universe and that omnipresent spirit. And, but I've always been searching for more, especially as far as the Bible and Genesis by itself is just one of the most fascinating books ever written. So, so now I'm about to graduate and I'm looking for work and I'm majoring in film and television production. And I'm like Googling these job network sites. And I ended up linking up with this dude and he had this like grand project to make a film about the book of Enoch. So then I'm like, all right, who's Enoch? Start going down that rabbit hole. And then I'm, then it's just my twenties. I kind of like all that research is, in the back burner, like in my free time on the side, but I'm still building these giant PDFs of notes and, and like stockpiling all this ammo. And I start working in film and television and climbing the ladders from commercials, music videos, TV pilots, feature films. And my twenties were busy. And it's crazy that we're here now because I'm almost 36 and some of it seems like yesterday. So fast forward. First of all, do you have any questions so far? Don't let me just keep ranting. Well, I know this from my notes on you, but just for the audience sake, you grew up in South Carolina. Is that right? Yeah. Charleston, the holy city. Right on, right on. We've talked about Charleston on uh, my other show, Esoteric America, where we get into, you know, underground history and whatnot. But no, I'm, I'm right here with you. Keep going. I'm listening. Yeah. So my buddy with the Book of Enoch Project, he's kind of like off doing his own thing in the tech world and working on another movie at the moment. And back in 2017, I just sort of took this concept Like when I first linked up with him in 2009, it's rare that you can be like 21 years old, have this like idea for a creative, massive project. And you feel like that's your purpose in life. And then like fast forward 15 years, it's that's still my purpose in life. It's just like, it's not going to be built overnight. This thing, this whole concept of alternative history and comparative religions is controversial it's dangerous, but the truth is out there and the truth will set you free. So that's always been like my spirit since I was a kid. And in 2017, I kind of like took it upon myself to tell the full story. And by this time, ancient aliens was super popular. Uh, the, the word was out there, right? Gaia, all, all those networks were creating great content. 
but nobody had like, to my knowledge, made a film or a TV series that was good and like gut gut it right. And I was like, this is it. This is the move. I was like, well, we need some sort of source material or or comprehensive, like condensed research to base it all off of. Like I have notes. I've read dozens and dozens of books, not as much as some of the legends who've read hundreds, but I found the authors that I resonated with and I kind of built the whole story from the beginning to the present. Late 2017, I'm on the internet Googling, researching, and I run into this writer based in Botswana, Africa. His name is Benson Sayli. He's my co-author. And he ran this Facebook group. And I like joined the Facebook group. I don't think I was accepted immediately, but like once I was in, I messaged him and he got right back to me. And what his writings that I found were like, it's almost like he had read everything I had read and more and done the work to break it all down to these very relatable, understandable story arcs where like, and he had humor in there. He had his own takes in there. He could relate ancient tales to modern day stuff going on in real society. And I was like, this guy is amazing. And we just sort of like built this rapport. And I was like, this would be a great story. Like your your take on this story of planet earth would be great to make into a movie one day or a TV show. And he was like, I agree. And around 2018, the early part of that year, he gave me full permission to run with it. And so we are business partners and he, uh, yeah, he gave me full, like the full green light to get it done, so to speak. And I've written a few screenplay adaptations of like the TV pilot or the first film and, but pitching something like this to a studio with legit money to produce it is not easy when you're not in the system all the way with an agent and, you know, the, the Hollywood web of power, so to speak. Mm. So it's I, I work in I work in high scale, high visibility projects with famous people as my film and music production career. But I'm an I'm an independent artist and a writer uh, at my core. So. I'd say that jumping back into the timeline, we decided Benson and I to now adapt his PDF you know, thousand page document that only this Facebook group could read. I broke it up into six sections and over the course of time, like edited it kind of like packaged it. Right. I, I did. A, I tried to edit his words as little as possible. And I, I would remove highly higher subjective statements, but most of it in the chapters is his work, as you can see. And then my co-author inserts are italicized. Right. So, and you know, time passes. Um, I'm working in film, filming concerts for the last five or six years. And then last year, I was like, this, this is it. I was like, book one's ready. We went back and forth for a few months on each chapter just to get it right, get all the sources listed. I found the photographs. 
And then I was like, I used a local publisher here for my first book. And then, which is not related to this subject matter. And this time I just like randomly hit up Amazon and they called me immediately. We started talking details. Long story short, they did most of the legwork to package it, publish it, get it on amazon.com. And they're helping me market it as we speak. And that is a shortly condensed form of my story up until now. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying some things. And it's really cool to hear about this relationship you have with Benson. I'm very curious to learn more about just African perspective in general, because I think here in America, in the West, in the English speaking world, we have such a huge barrier between, you know, what our perception of history is and what other cultures, indigenous or otherwise have, you know, and and their stories have been, you know, and, and this isn't a show where we really like play the woke victim social justice warrior card. But I'm someone who knows deep down that colonialism has, it has removed this rich, rich history, this, at least the the understanding of it in our modern times. And I think (laughs) the social justice warrior thing almost does that disservice in the sense that it makes people think, you know, that it, you know, these people are just crybabies or something, and it's not true at all, you know? So to hear that you, you know, reached across the ocean like that and forged a really cool friendship and working relationship with someone who clearly has a, a different perspective than yourself, I think kudos to you. That's a really awesome thing to do. And yeah, I would love to learn more about, you know, just that whole worldview. It's funny, we I've notice with the analytics on the show that there are people in Africa listening. And I, I said on the show, like a couple episodes months ago or whatever, we got to get someone on from Africa, you know, cause like we got to include more worldly perspectives, little non sequitur tangent there, but tell me about the Facebook group and your initial kind of Congress with this information? Like, did you feel like when you started interacting with people from maybe this more global perspective or maybe Afrocentric perspective that you are learning information that maybe wasn't available to us here in America? Because for the most part, when you think of Anunnaki, you think of ancient aliens, unfortunately, but you also think of Zachariah Sitchin, right? Like he's one of the main big authors and you write about you know, why Zachariah Sitchin is significant, but then also where some of his shortcomings were, right? So take us into this kind of initial, you know, yeah, when it, when it, all these ideas started to kind of form and, and become clear to you. Yes. So if I'm getting my memory right, I feel like I like requested to join the group. Let's rewind. I found Benson in his articles, you can find via Google search. Uh, he writes for a newspaper column out there in Botswana. It's called the Weekend Post. And he writes about a wide range of topics. So I started reading his articles just on this website. Then I looked him up on Facebook. So 
you know, love them or hate them, pros or cons, but shout out to to Meta and Zuck for having a platform where you can find someone that lives across the globe and connect instantly. So I feel like I requested to join the group and there was maybe like 2000 people in there. And I don't think I was like accepted immediately. I might've even been denied. And then my personality is like, well, request again. And then I get in and it's straight up, mostly like Botswana, straight up Africans, like a few, a few white people, a few people from across the globe, but mostly I feel like they were fans or readers of Benson um, in that region. So it helps that they all spoke English. They all type in English. Uh, Benson is well-educated. And I'll, I'll also insert that he has said and, and written in that group that he has no intention of being a quote-unquote micro-celebrity. So, you know, you can see what he looks like. In all that, he's he's got a, a resume and an a- academic background, but he's not going to be the guy on podcasts, you know, in debates, really out there promoting himself. He's got a family to take care of, multiple kids, and he's just a everyday, it seems like, prolific writer. So he's written documents, like they're essentially books, but until they're published, they're just in these nice PDFs, but he's written about the true story of Jesus. He's written about JFK. He's written about princess Diana. He's written about life after death, reincarnation. He just posted something in the last 24 hours about Michael Jackson. So like this dude is, he's in tune with American culture and its effect on global society and sort of, you know, I'd say just the power structure on the planet and how it's evolved over millennia. My biggest observation early on was that he was intelligent. His writings, like you said, there's like all these authors have their fan bases and it's hard to believe everything they say, but it's also hard to discern what is or half truths or their attempts at getting it right, but it might not be totally right. And Benson wasn't afraid to be like, I was a pen pal with Sitchin before he passed, but here's what he got wrong. It's just like he, he had other sources like Dr. Robert Morning's guy who bring the whole serious equation into the story of the Anunnaki. So it's like, it's not just planet X or Nibiru that they came from. There's a, everything has a source to it. Right. So we, we go into that in Pantheon and yeah, Benson, my observation was that he became an immediate mentor and he would respond to me fast. If I ever had a question, I didn't like want to overdo it, but if I needed clarification on something, he would get back to me within a matter of minutes or a day max. Right. And I can't like, it's hard to think of like, who's a mentor of yours in like a space. There's maybe not you, but like, that's not, I don't think that's a common occurrence that someone with that much knowledge can really guide you in real time like that. Well, I think it's a meant to be situation, you know, and I think you demonstrated the qualities that he was looking for in a mentee and 
vice versa for you in a mentor. And I think that sort of thing happens to anyone who makes a personal commitment to learn. You know, the universe presents you with someone who's on your frequency and and becomes a sort of mentor. It's happened to me multiple times in my life. And it's even happened to me with this podcast where, you know, people can see which conversations that I've had. For example, Michael Wan, you go back and listen to my first interview with him. It makes sense why him and I do a podcast together now, right? Because, you know, he's twice my age, twice my level of experience, similar interests, and we, we yeah. connect, right? So I think that's a really natural and and intuitive thing that, that took place there. And, you know, it, it can't be ignored, just the economic, the even the media barriers that someone from Africa has to go through to reach people outside of Africa, right? So having someone like you who can, you know, actively help this guy, you know, put his information out there from within the, the United States. I mean, that's a tremendous resource. And to your point, you know, thank you to, to Facebook for worse or for better for making these connections possible. And I, I'd like to see more of that. You know, it's amazing. I wonder how many like really incredible myths and legends are just waiting to be translated. And, you know, it's just about getting those conversations going between people who, you know, are native to, those countries, whichever countries they may be, where these stories are waiting. So to get back to the topic and, and maybe kind of segue over to the book and whatnot, he said that Benson is from Botswana, which is like for people who are not familiar with African geography, sort of in the southern central region of Africa, right? And it kind of like you could think of it as like savanna, but also kind of jungle. Do do people in these regions of Africa remember ancient history, have legends of ancient history, have legends of these Anunnaki or other beings from this ancient past? And, you know, are there even like, you know, ancient sites in these countries that aren't being talked about the same way Egypt is or, or places in like Mesopotamia are? Is there a whole sort of Afrocentric version of this kind of history? Yeah, that's not my expertise, but my best guess is there's probably all kinds of anomalies or signs of intelligent ancient civilizations buried in the Congo. I mean, if you if you look at a map, you know, think about the Amazon and everything that they're still uncovering there under miles and miles of forest, Africa would be similar to that, in my opinion. And as far as what I know about the people over there and the people in like Benson's group, they, they are very in tune with nature. So like Benson talks about like his, his grandmother or great grandmother, their, their healing practices, they believe in like herbal, like herbs and very natural remedies that this knowledge was passed down through generations and you know not to go too woo woo but some of those cultures believe in like dancing around campfires and stuff to to heal people and then according to their legends it works and they don't need pharmaceuticals or 
the modern day uh, solutions to those medical problems. So as far as the ancient history connection, Africa was the domain of Enki. So as a lot of your listeners know, but some don't, these, these most written about and depicted ancient historical deities slash gods with the lowercase g slash Anunnaki. You know, there is, there is a decent sized family of them. And there's kind of three dudes at the top, Anu, Enki, and Enlil. And Enki and Enlil were half brothers. Anu was their father, so to speak. And when they came to earth half a million years ago, they started building these societies, small tribes, societies, and more came. More came over the course of time, and they started being granted domains. And Africa was another term for the underworld. So it's not necessarily like when they used that term over the course of time, it translated into hell. And people thought hell was like underground somewhere. But that's a partial truth because it really meant like under under the equator or under a certain point of where the main civilization was, which was Egypt, Iraq, right? So the underworld was below that. Yeah, we talked about this recently when I, I looked into Hanno's voyage. Hanno was a Carthaginian and he described, you know, going past the equator and thinking that all of Africa was just on fire and they, you know, they had to go by water because it was you know, they would be burned otherwise. And if you think about it, if they were traveling during the dry season, they probably would have saw a bunch of brush fires in a place like Africa, right? They would have seen mountains on fire because that's how the ecosystem works down there. But in Europe, they weren't used to that. Right, right. So it's, you know, that you could go many directions with that. And over the course of this story from, we got to stop calling it a story. It's a, it's a take on history, but we'll find the right synonym for it. The, the saga from half a million years ago to the present, like, uh, different gods would be granted different parts of Africa. And like South Africa was big for mining and they were mining for gold and other precious metals and resources that went on to be used for a multitude of things. So it's a special continent. I think it's, it's research, but not quite understood. I think there's, there's a disproportionate amount of research and knowledge and textbooks on the continent of Africa, but perhaps not enough understanding about uh, how it truly all started and, and its impact on our present day story. Absolutely. Well, yeah. And that's a symptom of, you know, outsiders telling the story, you know, for them. Right. I think if Africa has a chance to tell its own story, the whole world will be shocked to learn, you know, what, what really has gone down and, you know, slowly but surely bright minds are, are chipping away at those barriers you included. So let's get into to some of the, the aspects of this story. How surely. far back can we understand humanity's origins from, you know, what we've learned from these, these beings, right? I mean, maybe give us a little background on where this information is coming from. But, uh, but like when it comes to like 
our origins and the creation of the universe, the Anunnaki or, or whichever title would be best for them, they've told us these things in the ancient past, right? Now we forgot. We think that we came from apes or something, but they told us, hey, lo, this is how it all went down. So let's get into that. Yeah. So we cite numerous sources, right? We have authors, we have science articles, we have word of mouth legends, we have whistleblowers. So it's a variety. And we start with the Big Bang. It's like, here's here's one take on how the universe started, but then who initiated the Big Bang? Who is God? God with a capital G. Benson grew up in the in the Christian world and believes in God, the creator of the universe, but he he doesn't hold back on the American church or you know the the system, so to speak. So it's it's interesting that he's he's fearless in that regard, but there's still this core principle of there's a power greater than us. There's a there's this universal energy. You can call it what you want to, but we call it the first source in, in a lot of the chapters. Um, I like to call it God too. Allah has a nice ring to it. You know, you can you can go many directions, right? So we use scientific research and and kind of that angle to talk about the creation of the universe. And then we get down into almost mythological prehistory tales that like Dr. Robert Morning Sky, for example, Benson is a huge fan of him. So that's where we have all these serious sagas and mentioning beings from all these other star systems that you don't really hear about too much in the Sumerian Chronicles, like Procyon or, or things like that. But long story short, it's like, it's literally almost like star Wars, but you get all these ancient civilizations in their galaxies vying for power. There seems to be this underlying balance of like male versus female dynamics. Or there seems to be this like this clash of like one system is ruled by queens and the other is ruled by kings, but they have to unite to save their part of the galaxy. And then we get into where did planet X come from? We believe that it was ejected from a, a star that exploded in the Sirius constellation. So, or the Sirius system. So once you start reading and uh, kind of correlating it with the sources, you realize that the solar system that we live in has dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of anomalous comets that, you know, circumnavigate our sun in these elliptical oblong orbits every between hundreds and thousands of years. And the theory behind planet X is like, why couldn't a small planet do the same thing? Then the theory is that's where our creators came from because it's literally written about in tablets that were unearthed in what's called the cradle of civilization. And they were translated in the 1800s, even more than 1900s. So as religion was taken over the world from, you know, pre Jesus to the 1800s, 
there was none of this evidence to fight back against it or to offer a counter argument. Now we have technology and the, and the stories keep coming, the research keeps coming. So we're trying to formulate this narrative that doesn't, it doesn't defeat the purpose of going to church or going to a synagogue, going to a mosque and being a good person and listening to someone teach you what they know. But we do want to narrow down on what happened in the ancient past and what's going on with these UFOs, UAPs, flying saucers. They were around then. They seem to be coming back around now. And this is our this is our take on who's piloting those things. Right, right. Now you you made a comment that it's like Star Wars in the ancient past, right? And we have several different sort of locations outside of Earth that we've pinpointed. You you mentioned Sirius being a, a star system which the Dogons knew about. They knew about you know Sirius B, even though it was invisible to the naked eye, and they didn't have telescopes, right? So clearly there is knowledge there and in other places around the world because you find megaliths and even you know what most wouldn't quite consider megaliths, but stone structures like stone chambers. And dolmens and things like that aligned to Sirius, uh, Orion's belt, and so on and so forth. So let's talk about some of the, the places where these beings may be coming from. The Milky Way galaxy. You know, I'm not an astronomer, so when I'm saying Sirius and, and Orion's belt, like I don't, maybe that's the same location. Maybe Sirius is a part of Orion's belt. Help help me understand, you know, what we're what we're talking about here. Yeah. Sirius is separate from Orion's belt, but if you're looking at the belt and you draw a line from right to left and in a, in a straight line, you will eventually hit Sirius if you're looking at it from Earth. Wow. So there's a there's an image of that in at the end of one of the chapters in the book. It's one of those just celestial anomalies, right? Almost like the ratio of the size of the Earth to the moon. It's like why does Orion's belt lead right into Sirius? It, it gives a little more credence to the idea of an intelligent creator or just the universe's magic and things happen in a, this beautiful randomness at times. So as far as the origin of these star beings or aliens, so to speak, the, the Anunnaki are believed to be from Nibiru, also known as Planet X, by way of Sirius. And Sirius had a unification with Orion in the ancient past. So they built this like superpower galactic civilization. We have reference beings from Draco and Aldebaran, Procyon, the Pleiades, and like we said, serious. So there's many, there's many ideas here. We, in Pantheon, we talk about how special Earth is and how we've likely been visited by a variety of these species over the course of time for a multitude of reasons. But really, it's because Earth is so special, like the vegetation, the, hosp the hospitality for life, the temperature. We're in that Goldilocks zone. 
we're looking for other planets like that as a as a planetary species, but we're not finding them. We're not finding any evidence that they're they have asteroids revolving around their own Goldilocks zones. So there is some evidence to point that pointed the fact that like Earth may be the diamond in the rough in this sector of the galaxy. So of course people are going to come here. It's like, where else would you go? To that cold icy moon to mine for ice minerals or go to Earth where you got beaches and forests and humans with spears and guns. Like how entertaining. Except except in the old days it was probably to build and cultivate, keep their own species going, whether that's here or whether that's taking resources from here back to their own worlds. Well, and on that point about Earth's qualities, you know, we, we do have a sort of anthropomorphic or anthropocentric kind of view of things, right? I mean, even in that statement, you kind of imply that these beings visiting us would have human sensibilities and tastes and so on and so forth. But when we look around our own diverse environments, right? We notice that certain creatures have certain capabilities and abilities that help them adapt to their environment. For instance, we have these reptiles that are able to exist in, let's say, temperature climates that mammals don't do so well in, right? Very hot climates, maybe even, you know, very humid climates. Reptiles seem to thrive there, right? So, we look at some of these depictions of these ancient beings, would it suggest that, you know, if they're reptilian, that maybe they come from an environment similar to Earth, where species like the species on Earth clearly can thrive if they have these same attributes, right? Is is there is there only reptilian or are there human-like? Ent- like, how far do we go as far as, you know, the qualities, understanding the qualities of these gods, because that's that's how humans remember them for the most part is gods, right? Correct. We discussed this in in one of the early chapters where you have single celled organisms, and it's until we know differently, we can only theorize. But if the laws of gravity are the same, and the general thermodynamics and laws of astrophysics are the same in a planet that's a hundred light years away as it is here, then, then it's like, unless you can fly, you're bound to the ground by the laws of gravity as a life form. So we talk about single celled organisms evolving to multi-celled organisms, and then you have to crawl before you can walk. So we use the earth model and the sort of mainstream scientific notion of evolution from billions of years ago to hundreds of millions of years ago to the dinosaurs. And it's like, it's like, why, why did the dinosaurs evolve into a creature like that? Benson has a part, a sub chapter, like a, a heading in a chapter that says birds evolved first, then dinosaurs. And then he starts going into Genesis and using that to back up his stance. So I'm not an evolutionary biologist, but it's almost like the universe operates in cycles and life imitates life. So it may not be exactly 
the same everywhere, but you can probably find some similarities and common threads. So we believe like the ultimate form of, of like a three dimensional planetary being would be the humanoid. Right. Because that's, that's proven to be the dominant species on the planet on this experiment of earth. Right. So, so it's, then we take the idea of that and other star systems and other, other cultures around the galaxies and, until I don't know because I haven't seen them face to face, but there's depictions of them. There's drawings, cylinder scrolls, statues. They seem to walk with two legs, have two arms, if faces, beards, jewelry, headdresses, wristlets, watches, right. technology. Uh, and you know, who knows where their origins are? If if they were seeded or genetically manipulated like people believe we were, or if they evolved from like actual reptilians on their planet. We kind of we kind of offer all the theories and let the reader decide for themselves as we still reach this timeline of we're eventually gonna get to the present day somehow. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, and it's amazing what humanity has remembered. Obviously there are things preserved in stone that you know, when we reconcile these with modern day beliefs, it just doesn't add up. And even in some of the statements you made, I, I've heard or I, I gleamed a sort of like, you know, we're not quite willing to throw everything out, right? Because science has taught us things. Religion has given us the ethics and the virtues, maybe even the moral standards to keep some cohesion together, right? That may be debatable whether or not they had more cohesion in the ancient world or less. I, I tend to think that we're kind of biased with our modern perspective and we just assume that things in the past were inherently less, you know, progressive or less advanced, right? But I wonder, you know, when it comes to the ancient worlds, if they weren't more progressive, at least conforming to today's standards of progressiveness, right? Because we have, as you pointed out, it seems matriarchal and patriarchal societies. And the matriarchal societies were uh, fiercer at some points than the, the patriarchal society, or at least just more dominant. One one particular figure that I want to ask you about is Queen Yahweh. She's been remembered, you know, as like the lady with a thousand names, right? And Nana and like all these other goddess variations, you know, many different cultures have remembered this, this figure, this mother goddess kind of being. So what, what does Benson, what has he uncovered with about this being, this woman? Right. So if we go back to kind of before the Anunnaki were in high numbers on Earth, let's say that the most powerful species in in our general region of space was Orion. And Orion had a general supreme leader, and that was the Orion Queen. She went by numerous names. She's essentially the source of the name Maya. Because her name was like M A apostrophe Y A, uh, according to how like these ancient cultures pronounced it, 
So Queen Maya or Queen Yahweh or the Orion Queen, whatever you want to call her, uh, she was a gangster. You know, she commanded armies, galactic armies, to go protect the Ninth Passageway and secure secure what they needed to keep the empire alive, thriving, growing. Then down in Sirius, you have these like civil wars erupting and people vying for kingship and people stabbing each other in the back and these family dynamics like House of Cards or something, but in space. So eventually it was decided and concluded that Orion and Sirius needed to unite. And by that time, the leader of Sirius was King Anu. And Anu is relevant for the entire duration of human history as we know it. He's in every book of the Pantheon series. He's he's essentially, he's the big G. He's, he's when Enki and Enlil can't agree on something, they go to Anu. And Anu makes the final call. So when his culture united with uh, Queen Maya, Anu already had a wife. Her name was Antu. And and she was the, essentially since she was the first lady of Sirius. And their son was Enlil, who was destined to be the next prince after Anu passes or graduates. So Anu's unification with the Orion Queen was mostly like ceremonial and like for the purpose of unifying the cultures, not really that he was in love with her or was going to like make a bunch of offspring with her. He was more focused on his current wife and he had a bunch of concubines. So there's, that's the other part of like, you mentioned progressive. It's like, it was a fascinating culture. They had crazy rules of succession. They did. What do you call it when you like sleep with your family? Incest. Incest. Yeah. They had, you were allowed to sleep with your half sister or half brother because they thought that would purify the bloodline. And like, it was almost like required. Sounds a lot like what the Royals still do to this day, you know? Yeah. So the, the Anunnaki were complex. I mean, they had this crazy technology, but if you follow the stories, they were, they were freaky. Wow. So, well, and, and there are other indications that these beings might not be quite human the way we would consider human to, you know, to be like one instance, their lifespans were much longer, right? Nowadays, academics will try to tell us, oh, these are just myths, you know, or these are just stories of humans that have gotten, you know, exaggerated over time. But we learn about these figures from the ancient world, and they lived much longer than 50 to 80 years, you know, 70 to 100 years, you know, the average lifespan of a healthy human today. Definitely, definitely. Some of them, we don't know that they passed away. They could be hidden on Earth or out there in the solar system hanging out still. Uh, there's a few there's a few accounts of Anunnaki passing away and they're pretty they're pretty intense. Like have you heard of the tale of Damuzi? He's he's the origin of the modern name Thomas. It was Damuzi and then Damuz and then Tammuz. But Damuzi was Anana's like super love interest, right? And he was he was a son of Enki. 
but the Muzi was essentially framed for this horrific event and while escaping his captors like died and so like Anunnaki didn't die so that's also why Inanna the the goddess of love and war was just crazy and causing causing a little bit of drama throughout the timeline of history but yeah the lifespans are fascinating we haven't even speculated about space travel and like the details of their technology and like I'm also deeply interested in interdimensional travel, but there's, there's just many cans of worms to open. Um, well, and if what we know about science and our limitations is correct, then maybe we're looking in the wrong direction. I mean, do, do you think that, you know, rockets and, and, and these like little spacecraft are the wrong direction to look do you think maybe we should be looking more at like cern or ancient versions of cern possibly the pyramids or some sort of portal technology like do you think that that could be why these megaliths are aligned with the constellations that they say that they're from right i mean they they seem to have some significance if they've structured these massive constructions and aligned them precisely with these you know, astrological or astronomical constellations, right? Yeah, that's a great question. One issue is that Earth is distracted by all these like little skirmishes and dramas and geopolitical disagreements. So it's like we can't get everyone to chill out and get in the same room and be like, yo, what are ley lines? Mm. Why don't you build your tallest skyscraper in the world at this point? We'll build ours at this point. We'll sing a song together on the eclipse and see what happens. Mm. But like, we're too busy fighting each other. I've been to Egypt twice. And once you see those pyramids in person, man, it's like, it's like, holy heck. These things served multiple purposes. Like, you just get this feeling that there's a, and now you can, now you can go underground if you know the right people and see some of those chambers. So what was the original question like? Well, as it pertains to our knowledge of science, you think we're looking in the wrong direction? You know, you think science is too focused on materialism and like what these ancient stories and these these this information from the past maybe hinting at is something more metaphysical rather than like a material way of traveling? Yeah, there, there's probably not enough emphasis on the metaphysical but it is it is out there if you look for it Mm. you can if you do the right google search you can find like cia documents talking about remote viewing and meditation and how to manifest through like the law of attraction stuff from like the 50s right so it's like that stuff exists but it's not promoted it's not pushed in your face as much as you know the next TikTok drama or, you know, war in another country. It's almost like, yeah, we have a lot, we have a lot of work to do as a species. Well, and in one area that maybe humanity is ultra focused is genetics and the micro, you know, microbiological world of our, our human body and 
the V yeah. word and all that stuff and we don't need I to for, get into. <laughs> I forgot to mention Benson has a great 50 page write up on that. Right. Um, well, and, and that seems to be what the, uh, the story sheds light on is that these figures call them gods, call them aliens, call them whatever you want. Anunnaki, Nephilim, people are kind of in going in circles, you know, right now mm-hmm. with who these beings are. A lot of people have different preferences. <laughs> so take it, right. take, take your pick, but it seems that the, the major pattern is that something happened with our genetics in the ancient past. There was a, a genetic maybe deviation that occurred. And I've read even in some sort of fringer metaphysical text that humanity is like short eight strands of DNA and we should have 10 or 12 strands of DNA, but we actually have two. And this might be the result of some sort of meddling with our DNA in the ancient past. And this seems like the modern, you know, big tech biotech companies are trying to do the exact same thing today, meddling with DNA, right? So what 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 can we learn from these ancient stories about that aspect of, of science and, and our origins? I'd say you're spot on there. It's what I've read, and we talk about this more in book two, but it's it's the chromosome pairs between the hominids and what what we are, which is Homo sapiens sapiens. It's almost like one was fused together where there's like these two rows of pairs. One was fused together either at the top or bottom. Uh, it's either like 22 or 23. And there's this discrepancy that you can look at scientifically. Then if you go to the ancient texts, which before mythology existed, they were historical accounts. You have Enki as the creator of mankind. So the son of Anu creates mankind in Africa uh, via manipulating the DNA of hominids, and he uses a female Anunnaki to perform the birth after many failed experiments. So, so they used the DNA of a male Anunnaki, the DNA of a female Anunnaki, and the DNA of a male hominid and used all those to make the first atom. And there, there was a few prototypes that didn't work, but that's the formula and combination of ingredients they needed to make the first one. And again, this is more in the second installment of Pantheon, but you're, you're absolutely spot on. There's many cultures with creation myths and creation stories, but it seems to be the central genius behind it all is Enki also known as Ea. He was Poseidon, and the list goes on. Right, and somewhere in the beginning of book one, you, you talk about the virgin birth, right? And it's not yeah. just an aspect of Christianity alone, it's uh, also an aspect of an Ojibwe legend. And I, I want to find it. I don't know, maybe you can comment on it while I find it, but I'd like to kind of... Absolutely. We discussed the concept of parthenogenesis, and it's a scientific anomaly. Reptiles on Earth can have births. Females can have eggs, 
without sexual intercourse. So it's this biological reality that can happen. And it was the first time I'd ever seen the theory that Enki was not the son of Anu directly. And this is where Benson's like serious connection comes in with the Orion Queen. So it gives more credence to the reason why Enki and Enlil were always feuding. Not only they weren't really half brothers, they were more like stepbrothers. So they had this like super beef with each other because that also means Enki, Enki wasn't Anu's son. He was just a figurative son, but he was the son of the Orion queen from an, from asexual birth. So the, yeah, the theory is that parthenogenesis is possible in kind of those uh, Orion species females with that reptilian origin. And then what's really fascinating is that he goes into earth examples with humans. So there's, it's almost like back to that campfire analogy. Some, some of these events were happening in Africa, but also in native tribes. So they would imagine you're like in the native American camp, right? And there's the group of elders and they're all like examining talent. Who's going to be the next great warrior. Who's going to be the next great TP builder or artist or mother. And every once in a while, they would find like a super special young girl who kind of like just personified light. And they, they knew something was special about her. They would some point around like her menstrual cycle, they would like get her around the campfire and do these crazy dances and chants and create this energy. And then there's these tales of that girl with all that spiritual energy, like having a virgin birth. So it's not just like one random story. There's, there's legends of it. Right. Right. Yeah. Right in the beginning on page 33, you talk about the account from Robert morning sky from the Ojibwe tribe. And it says that the great spirit would give the woman a, a, a child and this child would be born with gifts of healing, clairvoyance and, and leadership. And, you know, it's, it's so interesting. When I read that, I thought of uh, a legend I read about the story of Hiawatha, right? And, and this is, you know, he had a, a kind of a, a hidden name or a spirit name, but he was basically like the embodiment of this great spirit. And he did some really incredible things within the culture of the various tribes in the time before the Europeans had colonized. And he, he essentially predicted the colonization uh, of North America for the tribes in the Great Lake regions and warned them and said, you know, hey, there's this group of people that we've known about, you know, they've been here before, but they're going to be coming in mass numbers, you know, so to speak. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Yeah. But to hear that, like it, it adds a level of veracity to not just North American legends of this sort of thing, but all over the world, you have these stories of miraculous births, even, you know, Bruce Lee, who is, you know, super famous martial artist. I know you're a martial artist as well, so you definitely can relate. But Bruce Lee had some really interesting circumstances around his birth and his parents 
kind of were like, oh yeah, the dragon energy was trying to take you back. Like, you know, so it's not mm-hmm. always like this necessarily, you know, yeah. It, sometimes it could be by accident, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right. Or Tesla is another example where weird experience, you know, his mother had a weird experience when she was giving birth to him and look at how great he became. Right. Right. Clairvoyance. Yeah. And man. he led a, he led a revolution that was misunderstood and taken advantage of. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But, All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's take a quick break to go to our dynamic ad insertion. If you would like to get every episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast ad free, please sign up on Patreon or Substack today and you'll get every episode ad free plus bonus extensions to uh, all the new conversations and some of the older ones. But every new episode from here on out is going to have an extension if I can. So we'll see what happens there. We're extending the podcast. Whoa, look at that, folks. All right. We'll be right back to this interview after a quick break for our ads. Yeah, what... What was your, what's like the biggest question you have about the book so far or any certain sections that you want to push back on or dig deeper? Well, I guess more, I want to question something you said earlier in this conversation, which is kind of like how you and Benson, like, and this isn't really a statement on you guys, but more of something maybe I heard you say, and I'd like clarification if that makes any sense, but there's like there's this sort of instinct to not throw everything out and write a new story. Is that, that's kind of what I'm sensing. So is there, is it the case that there is undercurrent of truth behind, let's say the mainstream religions that we have today and we just need to kind of uncode it? Or do you think it's more the case that we have, you know, this like false religion or false version of history that's replaced the real version of it. Cause I, I think it's, it's kind of like a, there's two different perspectives there. Some people are like, no, no, no. The, the stories we have are, are true. They just need to be understood with this level of understanding. Whereas other people are like, no, 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 all of that is fake. It's actually this that's happened in history. Right. So where do you guys stand? Do you think that we, we, we're kind of throwing the whole history out or are we kind of re, re-threading these old worn-out threads. Here's where it gets interesting because we believe the writers of the Bible wrote in this style of language called pesher, which means they could write a sentence or a word and it would have a double meaning and at times triple meaning. So like you ever hear a rap song and it's like a double entendre or they can even do quadruple entendres. Right. A a lot of Genesis is like that. A lot of the Jesus story is like that, where they can be allegorical, but also coded. And I really like what you said about like uncoding this 
And I, I think that's what it is. I don't want to, I don't want to revolutionize or, you know, tear apart religions or cause that type of, that type of tidal wave. But there is a translation issue. We need to, we need to modernize the lessons, the characters, like people need to relate to these characters, especially the, the leaders with ethics and, and also learn from the, the ancient leaders and gods who made mistakes and displayed their humanesque flaws, which are usually stemmed from the ego. So we talk about all that. It's, you know, if life is about liberty and the pursuit of happiness, we have to figure out who's getting away, who's getting in the way of the happiness. And no, we were created in God's image, whether that's the God with the capital G or Inki made us look like the Anunnaki and like they wanted us to reproduce and thrive, but under certain rules and parameters, but not thrive too much, but just enough. So we couldn't live longer than 120 years or, you know, be granted the greatest weapons and medicines at the jump. We had to figure it out ourselves. Yeah, no, I went on a tangent there. No, I, you know, what thought you just brought to mind is like this idea of collective evolution on a very grand scale. And maybe what you're describing is like a, like the way you would put, you know, little pieces of foam on the sharp edges of your furniture if you have a toddler, right? Like you, humanity after being created by Enki is still in this toddler phase over the grand scheme of a, of a species lifespan, right? So to speak. So maybe we're in kind of like school earth and reincarnating after 120 years is like a cap. And that kind of like limits our ability to go totally buck wild and, and turn the school upside down. You know, it gives us just enough limitations. So we keep learning something as we reincarnate. I mean, that's yeah. kind of the way I see the world. I know that reincarnation might not be, you know, a sort of reality for everybody, but personally I, I tend to accept that as intuitive truth, but it, it does seem like, you know, our religions have this undercurrent that, needs to be decoded so i'm glad you 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 know kind of see that yourself too it validates something that i felt for a long time but when it comes to you know your question about it like what what do i get from the book it feels like you know what we're we're circling the drain on here is like the real human story you know that hero's journey that joseph campbell's sort of human story and, you know, this idea that those who created us were flawed too. And like, it's not this story of like, oh, we're just some mouse in a maze, some like evil genius scientist's pet experiment, but we're actually like the younger brother, the inheritance of this great heritage. And and we really need to reclaim that rather than, you know, write it off as myth and legend and things that ancient people 
needed to to get through their day. I think that's kind of a, a primitive idea. You know, we we think of myths and legend as like, oh well, they just needed to imagine that so their world made sense because volcanoes and lightning were scary. And it's like, no, nah, I, I mean. That's just that seems so childish when you look at the sheer evidence. So, like, I guess my question now is, do you think there's a suppression at foot? Because clearly there's a lot of evidence for this story. You know, there's actual physical evidence in the form of writing, you know, on hieroglyphs, petroglyphs. Right. So do you think that this stuff is just it's taking a while for people to come around to it or do you think there's actively forces trying to keep us from understanding our origins the suppression the suppression is thousands of years old and it's because the Anunnaki family were split in two it was the tribes of Enki and the tribes of Enlil and they would never ever stop beefing with each other as long as we know it so I don't want to give too many spoilers away in, in part two, but I will say that like there's a there's a god who's the son of Enlil. His name is Nenar Sin. He's also you can make some connections that he is the prophet Gabriel and is the one kind of kind of deciphering or relating the instructions to Muhammad in the Quran. So we actually believe Nanar Sin is is like the one teaching Muhammad all that. But he's also the dude who created the financial, like monetary system in ancient Sumeria. And like the money system is kind of what was the catalyst for creating power dynamics amongst the general population, class structures, and then you got the Anunnaki gods and their temples way up here. But that was that was how they could start controlling those early intelligent societies that were starting to write for themselves and speak for themselves and keep their own records. And then, you know, the suppression just never stopped from the Roman Empire to the Council of Nicaea to the powers that stay in charge. It's not like, it's deep, right? It's like, they are suppressing things for certain reasons, and some of it you get. If the average population knew about all the crazy stuff going on, they probably would panic. But the the religious side is almost intentional to keep us slowed down and dumbed down in our evolution. Now, it might seem like an oversimplification, but it almost sounds like there's like a white lodge, black lodge situation going on where both parties have the true information and one of them is kind of fighting for i guess what we would think of as humanitarian cause ideal right that that humans can can become great whereas this other group seems very cynical like no humans can't be responsible with this we have to keep it away from them we're just going to kind of manage them and it's like this war between these two factions veiled behind what we know as accepted history, right? So when we look at the conflicts even today in the modern world, there's an undercurrent of these factions that aren't obvious, right? They have sort of these puppeteers, you know, in front of them who then have their squad of, of puppets that enthrall all of us with this show 
when really it's there's this hidden dimension of these events, right? I, is that kind of along those lines? Yeah, I just thought of this, but it's almost like the chess player is a pawn in someone else's chess game. Right. And the cycle keeps repeating up the system, down the system. Yeah. Yeah. And I, we see that, you know, on a microcosm level when we look into a lot of different intrigue and secret society type of meddling in world affairs, you know, something that I'm particularly interested in on this show. But on the grand scale of things, you know, I don't know that it's necessarily like, you know, feasible that humans could could pull this charade off on such a grand level. Maybe this helps explain how it's been pulled off so seemingly because it, I mean, we're dealing with, you know, entities that have thousands of years of foresight in these sorts of events. You know, they they, they know how, you know, humans can will, will react to these sorts of you know back and forth chess kind of moves so to speak in, in that analogy kind of way yeah and it, you're you're spot on there their time scales are so long with their lifespans you know we live 120 years that's a micro fraction to them so they can their chess game and their chess board is on a much grander scale than we can even comprehend. If you believe in the the circuit path of Nibiru, they only came around once every 3,600 years. So once you start going back from the, the biblical times, as the Pantheon series progresses, minus 3,600 years, minus 7,200 years, there are significant events every time that the Nibiru timeline comes by earth and it's yeah it's like the parents the parents go drop their say the parents are the gods and they go create the humans let's say they're the toddlers and then they go drop them off in preschool which is earth you know instead of like picking them up from preschool every day and taking them home they they might come around once a year and then by that time, the toddlers built uh, forts and then sticks and stones. And then the parents leave, come back another year. They got BB guns. And it's like, that's, slow, that's slowly what's happening here. The difference is the last 150 years, 100 years plus, the technology revolution is just ramping this whole thing up. So we're seeing this knowledge and information condensed and shared with the world at record speed and it is starting to paint a more clear picture a clearer picture of the past but there's still so many questions and mysteries to be solved so it's a, yeah it's an interesting purpose to chase and love well and it almost feels like we're waking up out of this kind of like state of ignorance because when we look at the ancient world it seems like they had a more advanced understanding of things cultures that were more connected to their ancient roots still have a sort of advanced sense of of things like what's going on in the heavens right and that that's kind of where i want to turn the conversation to now because 
Speaking of technology, you know, some people, especially in this community of conspiracy theorists, they doubt all things moon landing. We didn't go to the moon. We can't go to the moon. And I'll never know. That's not my expertise. I'm not going to claim to know. And, you know, I don't really care either way. I'm interested in talking to people who believe both sides of it. So whether you are for the moon landing or not, because this is a conspiracy podcast, I have to make that sort of disclaimer anytime the moon comes up. But you, you have some pretty interesting thoughts or facts on the moon. One of the things you guys point out is that the moon rang like a bell when they landed on it. Um, and this seems to track with what the ancients knew about the moon, right? So let's talk about the moon because I've heard from some people that the moon hasn't always been orbiting around the earth. And there was a time in our ancient past that cultures or people from the distant past remember a sky without the moon in it. So can we talk about, you know, where the moon, its origins and and what I believe you call it, is it Kingu? Is that the... Kingu is the Ooh, the riddle of Kingu, Sumerian name for the moon. Right. Uh, I'm I'm also fascinated by those ancient cultures. I've I've heard I've heard it as well that if we're talking about Earth, they say that they didn't see it in the ancient past, but we believe it's always been there since Earth has been there. But there was a planet that existed before Earth called Tiamat in the original solar system. So. This is one of the metaphorical wars in heaven when Nibiru dislodged from Sirius and entered our kind of no-fly zone and broke that rule. It it crashed into Tiamat on its long elliptical rotation, and it actually hit it two more times coming back around. During those three collisions, the asteroid belt was created and the moon was created, and then Earth was created. So Tiamat became a hybrid planet of Biru and its original form to eventually become Earth. And the moon was a part of Tiamat that was dislodged. And as far as the anomalies and the mathematical kind of synchronicities, that could just be how... Well, it's not just how space works, because I don't think we've discovered any other moons that are so large compared to their home planet, like one fourth the diameter or the mass or whatever. And the relationship between the the moon to the earth and the sun, how perfect eclipses can occur. It's just it makes you again wonder, like, is there a, a puppet master behind the strings, like making all this happen, the invisible force, or is it just like there's astrophysics, there's laws, but there's still like magic in the universe. And we're told that the, the ancients thought that all of the planets, including the sun revolved around the earth. Right. And, and now in our modern frame, we see the sun as the center and everything revolving around the sun. But I've had, an interesting conversation with a gentleman who's gone very deep, very deep into reorganizing and reevaluating the work of Kepler. I believe I could be wrong about that, but, or might've been the guy that Kepler murdered, but either way, 
There is a there is an issue. Oh, Tycho Brahe, that's his name, Tycho Brahe. So he's he's gone and and kind of reevaluated that work. And what he found is that Tycho Brahe believed that the Earth, the Moon, and the Sun work together in this kind of like pump configuration where technically the earth is the center but the sun and the moon have this relationship with the earth where it works almost like a motor or an engine where like you know their rotational relationship is what the other planets are revolving around so it kind of validifies what the ancients observed where the earth had maybe a more central you know position in the solar system did the did the Anunnaki give us a complex understanding of astronomy that maybe humanity just forgot over time, and that's why we kind of now we're in this position where it's almost even a debate. In their depictions, they they put the sun at the center, and then they list the planets. But what's interesting is they list the moon as a planet. It's like numbered in the order, right? So I think they understood significance and importance. But in the artwork, depictions, and those types of things I've seen from the Anunnaki, this, they believe the sun was the center of the solar system. But I have heard what you're talking about. It might have been your podcast, but it was, it was like the space in between like Venus and Earth or this point that was the actual center that they were rotating around. It was this like revolutionary take on what we're all revolving around here. Right. Um, right. And and I think, you know, maybe it's something that we'll uncover when more translations come about. But I, like there's even other weird anomalies. I mean, we don't need to get too hung up on that cuz astrophysics is not by any means my expertise, but as far as our observations of the heavens goes, there's also cultures that recorded a time where Saturn had a much more intense position in the sky. And some people theorize that the whole sky was purple because Saturn was like this dwarf sun. Now it's no longer that. But do the Anunnaki talk about Saturn having some strange qualities or, or playing a different role in the ancient past in our solar system? Yeah. It seemed like when... When Alelu, who was the fugitive from Nibiru, he once ruled Nibiru and had to get in a skirmish with Anu, who overthrew him. And when Alelu was escaping to Earth, Saturn's the planet that gave him a lot of trouble with its gravitational pull. He felt this ominous presence there and even saw what he thought was a giant UFO that was unidentified, wasn't part of his Anunnaki team that he knew of. So this is half a million years ago. And yeah, I've also seen documentaries and read things about the peculiarities of Saturn and that hexagon thing at the pole and how it's almost like I've heard it's almost the broadcast like antenna for the solar system. And if, if another species is trying to like manipulate us through frequencies or waves or signals it like comes through saturn and it's then like sent to us wow. so yeah it's huh. deep well and and it seems like you know <laughs> that tracks with a lot of 
what cultures tell us about Saturn and it, it having this kind of frequential reputation. Time is a frequency in some sense, right? So, and Kronos, Saturn, right? It's a dominion of time and material realm, the material realm to some extent, right? And yeah, I mean, the, the whole Saturn worship, cults and all that, it's it's very deep. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I'm not an expert in it, so I'll kind of leave it at that. But if you have any, any thoughts on maybe the Anunnaki and their different factions and, and how that kind of created the, the worlds of religions that we have today, because it does seem like now we have the monotheistic religions there was a time when maybe pantheistic religions were more, you know, dominant, we'll say. They still exist, but nowadays it's really, it's monotheistic religions. Can't really call Taoism monotheistic or Buddhism monotheistic, but they, to some extent, they reflect more of monotheistic religions than they do pantheistic, and they've been affected by them politically. But either way, like, is there any sort of understanding of the world's religions that we can get a better understanding of from the Anunnaki, if that yeah. makes any sense. Yeah, it goes back to their humanesque flaws, I'd say, that once we were created, humans needed to be controlled, and they didn't want any surprises. So the the more egocentric Anunnaki would have these humanoids worship them as gods. So then they started to masquerade as these supreme creator beings and the humans would cook them feasts and sing at their temples and, and pray to them and worship them. Whereas others were more on the spiritual side of thing things. They were more on the spiritual side of things. So like Enki and his clan, Enki was the father of Thoth also known as Nengish Zeta and other names throughout Mesoamerican cultures, but they were definitely more of the, the meditative look within sort of spirituality practice. Like Enki, Enki ruled as a, as a Pharaoh at a, at a point in Egypt, but he, he didn't, to my knowledge, didn't have people like, pray to him or treat him as uh, the most divine being, right? That was Enlil, also known as Yahweh of Genesis. His, his half of the family were way more controlling, violent, uh, spiteful, dishing out punishments, trying to block off territories, restrict food, manipulate weather, mess things up, you know, and and it seems like there are some exceptions because Enki had some offspring that did some bad things too. And Enlil had some offspring that did some good things. So that's why it's it's so complex. That's why I'd like the book series, part one is so much backstory and then we start getting into characters at the end. But like these characters are what people are going to fall in love with. It's like this this god's in charge of weather. This god's in charge of the rocket ships. This dude's in charge of the gold. This dude's in charge of the money. This dude runs everything. And it's like, 
you really do start to see how it all played out. And then you relate it to like, who was king of this country at this time. And yeah, we break, we break it all down, but yeah, say the, the corruption, the ego of the gods was the, my initial answer to your question. Yeah, no, great, great answer. And I kind of took us off uh, on a little tangent from where we were. I want to go back to more of the ancient astronomy, so to speak. When it comes to, you know, our observations of the planets and the sun and the moon, we can learn things about, you know, cycles and the patterns of time that we're in, right? And, you know, when it comes to these cataclysmic events like what you described tiamat breaking up can we also find complementary evidence here on earth with those events that were recorded in the past for instance like was the earth bombarded with asteroids when tiamat exploded and, and can we find those asteroid you know craters here on the earth like have scientists gone and, and examined these locations on the earth and identified them with those cataclysms, at least like the timing, the dating. Yeah. So from what I know, the, the asteroid impacts on earth, what they can find from those is that they are, they contain bacteria that survives the, the passage of space at times. So it's like, it's one more, weight of evidence for like panspermia or directed panspermia where they can send life through space and in birth something well, even if it's a microbe on another planet as far as like dating it there's so much like disc discrepancy and controversy with carbon dating i'm a little hesitant to say what's what there but in in pantheon we do talk about some craters on the moon that are allegedly older than the moon itself. And that ties back into that Tiamat, like the rocks could have been from Tiamat, which is a planet that we can't like measure because it existed before earth. So right. that's why they're older. Right. So, so if, if you believe in the carbon dating and some of those scientific discoveries, Yes, there is there is evidence of rocks and impacts between Earth and the moon that are older than the Earth and the moon itself. Right, right. And I appreciate your apprehension with the dating because it is a fuzzy area. And, and you know, a lot of times those, you know, academics who would poo-poo this whole conversation, they lean very heavily on that sort of stuff to corroborate their version of history and and you know i i think that's a big part of what we're doing here on this show and and here in this conversation is is pulling back the curtain and, and showing how history is much more complicated pantheon kind of concludes jumping ahead to like book six after after nearly 450 plus thousand years of being on earth the Anunnaki built all, built all these pyramids, civilizations, developed religions. They divided the cultures and divided the languages to maintain control. There was two pyramid wars. So 
they're beefing with each other. And then it's like in the 2000 BC range is when Sodom and Gomorrah happens. You asked me to circle back to this. Let's, let's touch on that. That's, that's the heavy shit because like when I was first reading the book of Genesis, it was from like page one to page 15 is like the creation of earth to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's a lot to condense into 15 pages. <laughs> and like, and I found Benton and now I have like the thousand page version. Right. So it's like, <laughs> that's, that's kind of my angle here. Right. And uh, yeah, Enki, Enki had to, unfortunately, like he didn't want the, the upheavaling of Sodom and Gomorrah to happen, but he, he was kind of outnumbered in the voting. He couldn't stop it. And so not to not to give the whole plot of Pantheon away, but let's just say that some people believe that Sodom and Gomorrah was like a meteorite or comet impact and all that, and we go the angle of nuclear destruction by the gods. Wow. So the Sodom and Gomorrah was two cities, and there was five five other cities that were also blown up. Right. So that's that's when Inky started writing about all this and he's like super sad and emotional because his creation like they just had to kill so many of them and then they had to rebuild again so humanity had to rebuild after the flood circa 12,000 BC roundabout maybe 11,000 and then they had to rebuild again and what's what's alarming to me but good thing I'm a I'm an optimist and I'm confident in the world and the leaders of the world, as crazy as that sounds, is that we believe Sodom and Gomorrah happened in 2024 BC. So if you believe history moves in cycles, it's like, just stay on alert this year. Like, take care of your people, can like network, build your tribes with strong people that could hold shit down if shit hits the fan. Wow. Yeah, and I, I do think I'll include this part in the free side of things just because that is an important message for everyone to hear. And yeah, I do I do think history works in cycles like that. But let me ask you, you know, the, we've talked about the manipulation of the timeline and the calendar. I've had people come on who, you know, have done vast amounts of research into that topic. Do you think it's possible that the reason why it lines up so well like that, where we're entering this time that reflects so neatly, is because there's this hidden hand that we've mentioned already in this conversation kind of setting the stage for this final event or this kind of re re entrance into, you know, the spotlight as the kind of lowercase g gods of Earth? Yeah, I don't have a perfect answer for that, but it's something I think about a lot. I, I don't think Nibiru is going to come back in our lifetimes. I think that's in another. I don't think Nibiru is synonymous with Jesus. So it's not that it came in zero and it's going to come in 3600. Some of my research has it shifted and I could I could go deeper into that. But there is something weird happening across the planet with the technology revolution of the last 120 years, the way it's just, it's, 
it's almost as crazy as it seems it was back in those biblical days. It's like the story I, when I first heard about Sodom and Gomorrah, it was like God wiped out the humans because they were loud and he was mad. Right. And this is almost the loudest we've been as a planet. And, you know, kind of, there's definitely freedom fighters out there and light workers and people trying to spread the good word, but yeah, everywhere you look, it's like, how did, how did it get like this? And what are we going to do about it? Yeah. So it's up to us. It's, it starts, it starts somewhere and then it grows and it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to be some world takeover, but we have to pierce the hearts and minds of the people with the energy and the motivation to change their lives through knowledge and wisdom. And once they fix themselves, the people around them will be inspired to fix themselves. And it's, that's the mission, man. In a nutshell. Well said, well said. And you have quite an ambitious project set ahead of you, you and Benson, of course, and, Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's just book one that's available right now, right? So when is book two uh, coming out? And and obviously there's six books planned. So I'm really hopeful that people support this so we could see the rest of the series come out, you know, start with Pantheon one, the golden veins. And yeah, when, when can Pantheon, when is Pantheon two coming out? Yeah, Every, every book installment uh, is in a, it's past a rough draft phase. So I've, I've taken Benson's writings and, and added my own initial pass through it. So part two could be out as early as the end of this year, but I, I don't want to make that a promise yet. It's essentially 80 to 90% done, just needs to go through some editing and, and then a publish phase. But it is exciting because that's when the real juice happens. That's when, you know, the end of part one, it's like, the aliens and the Anunnaki land on earth. They discover gold cliffhanger. And, and then part two, we get into building Eden and Eridu and modern day Iraq, which was the source of the Sumerian civilization. And then project Adam and, and all that. Amazing. So yeah, stay on the lookout, you know, keep, keep watching Mark's show and my family thinks I'm crazy. And, and you might just hear about the next installment of Pantheon, but yeah, we're really excited. If if the world keeps getting crazier, I might have to condense them into into less books just to get it out faster. But currently, they're all split out. There's a lot of there's a lot of material to cover. Right. So, well, it's a vast amount of time, you know. And yeah, I don't blame you because 15 pages sure doesn't do it. I think it's enough to leave so many people fascinated. You know, Genesis is something that really boggles the mind. But I look forward to having you back on because I really, I honestly only was able to skim the book. I want to really sit down and and think about it for uh, maybe a few weeks or months and then have you back on and we could really, you know, re-examine some of the thoughts that we started today. Um, And then, of course, when uh, Pantheon 2 comes out, open invitation to come back on the show, man. But this has been really awesome. People can go to adrianwesthq.com. That's your website. Is there anywhere else folks can go? You have an Instagram. Do you have any other social media that you want to plug or have people follow up with you on? 
those are pretty much the the main ones. Instagram is the same handle at Adrian West HQ, www.adrianwesthq.com. And yeah, those are the primary ones. Cool. And then you have the podcast in the works potentially coming out this year. So look forward to that to be named. Be sure to let me know when you do have it out and we'll promote it on the show here and we'll mention it at least and maybe have you back on and talk about it. That'd be great. I can promise it will involve the word action in some fashion. Okay, cool. We'll look forward to that, folks. And like I said, follow up with Adrian, Adrian West HQ, pick up Pantheon one the golden veins it's a great read you got all the information you need and each chapter ends with sources so you can go and follow up and do more research it's a great addition to any collection of books especially people who are interested in ancient history which is pretty much most of the people that listen to the show because it's a favorite topic of mine and those episodes always do well so anyways adrian it's a pleasure great talking to you man you're really knowledgeable any final thoughts before we wrap up? Please, man, I didn't get a chance to, uh, I mentioned it, but thank my parents for creating me and inspiring me to be curious and convince me that I could do anything that I set my mind to within reason. And I didn't, I didn't speak much about my dad, but uh, he was, he, his hobby is gold mining. Oh, wow. So when I was a kid, he used to take me to these like freezing rivers in Georgia and I would get in a wetsuit and like go gold mining down in the rivers. And like when I grew up, I thought he was doing it as like a subliminal way to teach me about the Anunnaki, but he wasn't. But he's also one of my inspirations as far as he taught me chemistry back in the day. So he he kind of pushed back on me with my gold, the beer gold fill in the atmosphere solution when I first told him about it. And then like a few days later, he called me cause he like read something and did some equations. And he was like, you know, there is a way that like you could suspend gold in the atmosphere. And it might, it might, if you do it this way, I was like, all right. <laughs> so only there's a chance. And essentially your family doesn't think you're crazy, which is awesome to hear, at least in this respect. I mean, we don't know the full story, but from what I could tell, it sounds like you got uh, a full circle situation going on there or intuitively or not, you know, your dad kind of set you on this course and that's awesome, man. I think life tends to work in those, those ways. So I think they're proud of you, and uh, yeah, maybe once they read the book, they'll they'll have some crazy questions for you. I don't know if they already have, but for the audience listening, please get in touch with Adrian, share your thoughts, and I'd love to get Benson on as well, maybe the next time you join. I don't know if it, it's possible, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that, and uh, yeah, thanks, brother. It's great talking to you. You're very welcome, Mark. It was a pleasure and a blast, and keep doing great work. Right on. Thank you. And folks listening, thank you for being here. Until next time, immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. Ladies and gentlemen, that was our conversation with Adrian West. If you want to hear the entire conversation, be sure to go over to the Patreon where we went a whole nother hour and talked about the 
Anunnaki obsession with gold and how humans conversely became obsessed with gold. We talked about the action lessons to live by. We talked about the geneticists in the ancient past and the precursors to Homo sapiens. So tons of interesting stuff. And we got into some more explicit details than he was willing to share on the free side of things. So go sure, go sure, be sure to go and pick up the book, Pantheon One, The Golden Veins. The link is in the description. Go over to adrianwesthq.com and pick it up. Look forward to him joining us here again on the show. And thank you so much, folks, for tuning in to another episode of your favorite podcast, the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Look forward to another great episode coming out this week, and it's already available for your listening pleasure right now on the Patreon or the Substack. So sign up today, support the show, and get an ad-free version of this show. All right. Also, we got some interesting Spotify comments in the spotify q a on spotify if you listen to the podcast you can interact with me on particular episodes so if you have something to say about the episodes that's a good place to do it and i read all of them in the patreon so if you want to hear your comments read your questions addressed i will do so in the patreon the last episode with Daniel Caulfield hasn't gotten any comments yet. Um, let's see. Izzy Griffin got a few comments. There are a few comments that I just wanted to address. Yes. Okay. So raw C nine, if you're listening, reach out to me on Instagram at my family thinks I'm crazy. I'd love to hear more about your friend and his very interesting story. All right. And then let's see. Was there any? There's, I think there was one other comment. And the only reason I'm doing this is because I'm not sure that these people are on the Patreon. So I want to address these comments because some of them were really, really good. And I thought, oh, I should say something on the free side of things. Um, oh. So somebody said Mark is far too polite for what a lot of his guests deserve in reference to the Michael LaFlemme episode. Yes, interesting observation, but I will say, you know, for, to Mike's credit, he is a professor. So he's used to having the floor. He's used to lecturing. Uh, I don't know that he's done a lot of podcasts, so give him a break. Uh, some people thought that he should have stopped talking and let me... Uh, interject more to ask questions, but that's okay. Like I said, he's he's maybe new to this format, or I'm just giving him the benefit of the doubt. Either way, I enjoyed speaking with him, and I will be having him back on the show. Uh, and then I got a ton of comments on the Michelle Gibson episode, and uh, you know I don't know that I'll be having her back on the show as much as some people really love her. A lot of people really didn't like that episode, and, you know, I'll take some credit for that. I probably could have been more prepared. But when we get into this Tartaria conversation, you know, it's very video-oriented. It's a lot of look at this photo, look at that photo, look at this map, look at that drawing. And, you know, 
that doesn't exactly amount to evidence. So I'll just leave it at that. But we got some criticism for that episode, and I agree with the criticism. You know, I'm not going to lie to you guys and pretend like every episode rules. I'm not going to lie and pretend like every guest knocks it out of the park. That's just disingenuous. Uh, Not every episode is a home run. Speaking of which, some people thought that uh, Sonny could have been more prepared for the uh, episode we did on the Moors. You're right, but Sonny admitted that himself in the episode. So give him some slack. And I just joined him on his show, uh, Sonny Talk, on the No Funny Shit podcast. So go and check that out, NFS Podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, him and I did had a conversation about all kinds of stuff, about life, all kinds of stuff. But uh, some people want to see me interview somebody with more research under their belt on that specific topic, and I will do that. So look forward to that, and I'm just so grateful that everybody's listening and participating in the Spotify comments. Uh, it would be a really long segment if I did this uh, for the free side of things and I want to give the Patreon people some incentives so occasionally I'm going to read the uh, Spotify comments on the uh, free side of things but just the good ones just the nice ones just the constructive ones if you want to hear every single one even the negative ones go over and sign up on the Patreon because I read them all and I respond to every single one so yeah and we also have a poll up for the Douglas Preston episode, would you visit the city of the monkey god? So far, one person said yes. Uh, if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it. Douglas is a very interesting guy, and he could come back on the show anytime because he's got a ton of stuff that he's talked about. Uh, just in that episode alone, we covered a lot of ground. So, anyways, a uh, little background info there. We've got a great episode, very controversial episode coming up this Wednesday. I don't know that the Christian audience is going to want to listen to it, but hey, I am not going to hold anything against you. I'm not going to make any assumptions about any of you. I think all of you are adults, and you can listen to something without getting upset or listen to something and and not agree with it, right? That's part of being open-minded and being skeptical. So look forward to that. And if you don't want to wait, sign up on the Patreon or the Substack right now. Big shout-out to Mind Mend Mushrooms. Go over to their website and check out their awesome products. Use the promo code CRAZY to save at checkout. We also got our sponsor, the Hit Kit, and Isaac Lazell with his Organite. Go and check out his interview with me. And Garrett as well has been a a guest on the show. The man behind the hit kit has been a guest on the show. So maybe we'll get Mind Mind Men Mushrooms on the show. But either way, a bunch of great sponsors. Can't forget to mention them. That's not it for this episode, folks. There is a full hour left of conversation with Adrian West. So go and check it out on the Patreon or the Substack. And until next time, immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. MFTIC. Yeah.
Broadcasting the moon matrix from the lunar surface They want you confused like you never knew your purpose Hopping through the portals, dismantling the machine My family thinks I'm crazy, I can't believe what I've seen Memories of a war, the Pleiadians and Anunnaki Stuck within the genes of a copy of a human body DNA fractal, the universe within me Epiphanies of science is hoarded by the Illuminati Puppet masters know the power of the mantra Repeating mad lies till it has an effect on ya Subliminal messages hijack your perception Tricking the population with holographic projections We see through it The system is unraveling I'm astral traveling Through the library of the Vatican On a sacred journey I embark with the squad Forever spitting truth like Mark on the pod Gotta know the facts, never hold back Cause I ain't getting caught up in the soul trap I dissect the fabric of reality Looking for the answers Searching through the galaxy You might be feeling stressed out Depression, anxiety, is no measure of health to be well adjusted to a sick society You don't even know how powerful you are We the ones who gonna expose the whole facade I awoke in a deep underground military base Zero recollection of how I got to this place Alien corpses floating in glass cylinders Must have been extracted when they crashed into us Animal hybrids contained in the cages a lion with the eagle head Monkeys with reptilian faces Losing my mind and I'm feeling desperate I look around the room and I see no sign of an exit All of a sudden the wall flickers away Revealing a hangar full of spacecraft My getaway I run to the nearest one See a guard knock him out Robin Fulber's plasma gun Hop in the ship Take the controls They highly intuitive I figure it out easily Lift off Accelerate through a tunnel Until I see the light Fly into the sky Get flanked by six F-35 Gotta know the facts, never hold back Cause I ain't getting caught up in the soul trap I dissect the fabric of reality Looking for the answers Searching through the galaxy You might be feeling stressed out Depression, anxiety is no measure of health To be well adjusted to a sick society You don't even know how powerful you are We the ones who gonna expose the whole facade